today we get to wrap up this series about everyday conflict. And um, I mentioned a little bit as we've gone through, through this series, I was a little apprehensive about this series. Uh, but I haven't really done many series based on books. And there is a book by the same title that uh, this sermon series is kind of based upon. Um, and I was thinking this may be a little too practical. It's almost a little more like a workshop than normal preaching. But here's what I found out as we've gone through this and from talking with you guys, that there is so much in our daily lives that we need biblical wisdom for, that this has really hit a need that is there. This really has, has, uh, has some broad application, and, and it's amazing how the Bible, it's not just some history book, it applies to the problems and the challenges we face every single day. Um, and I think this series has, has really been, uh, it's really helped us just open our eyes about the conflict around us. It's, as you read through the Bible, if you really read it through that lens, the Bible is a book about conflict. It's a book uh, starting from Adam and Eve disobeying God, and and you've got uh, you know you've you've got Cain and Abel, and you've got I mean just as every page you go through, there's conflict. Um, you you think about even in the New Testament, all the parables of Jesus. So many of them are about conflict. Uh, we talked already about the speck and the log. I mean, in Matthew, we talked, uh, there's the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. He's been forgiven, but he won't forgive someone else. There's the laborers in the vineyard. This isn't fair. Why do they get paid more than we do? And I could go on and on. There's so many stories about that. Or, you know, people asking, well, how many times do we really forgive? Or, or Paul's letters, when he's writing to the churches, think about Paul's letters. Um, so many of his epistles are to churches who are experiencing conflict. People aren't getting along. You see that over and over again. You see churches allowing sin. You see uh, all sorts of things. You, they were neglecting the widows, and, and so they had to do something about that. And you, you see that there's conflict and tension throughout the pages of Scripture. So that is why this series is so important. It's because it's a big deal. We are surrounded by conflict, and where two or people are gathered, there's going to be conflict. I mean, that's just, that's just it's going to happen, right? Uh, in a church this size, I'm telling you, and I'll just say this, we didn't do this series uh, just to, 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 I don't want to start any, we didn't do this series because of any conflict. We just do it, we did it because this is something we all face, Right? It's just something we deal with, and when you get this many people together, different personalities, different ideas, different belief systems, and different backgrounds, and, and I haven't even mentioned political beliefs and COVID beliefs and all that stuff. I mean, you get people together, you're going to have conflict. That's why uh, we're going through this sermon series. So um, I was reading a, a, a story this week about uh, Louis Giglio. He's got a new book out, and um, and, and he was kind of going through a difficult time in his church, and um, being a pastor can sometimes be a little bit messy. It can sometimes be a little bit draining. Um, and he had been betrayed by somebody kind of close to him, and uh, and, and he, he he was getting angry about it. And uh, he and this is kind of what I read. It said, you know, the actions of that other person became clear. So he he sent a text message to a friend of his. Um, 
uh, he kind of explained in the situation. He was, you know, kind of venting a little bit like we do. Um, uh, and he was expecting some empathy and, and maybe some vindication and somebody to, to pat him on his, uh, on his back. And this is what Louis Giglio said. He's a pastor down in Atlanta. He said, I pressed send and I waited. Literally, I just stared at the screen looking for support to arrive. I wanted a, res- a reply that resounded with a hearty, hey, Louis, I've got your back. And I, he, re- he texted his friend. He's wanting to hear that. I- I've got your back. I understand what you're going through. I knew you were right all along. I wanted a shoulder to cry on, a, a, cele- a celebratory high five or a fist bump. I needed actual words in return and lots of them. A moment passed and another and I waited on the reply and then it arrived. A one sentence reply, nine words to be exact. In dismay, I blurted, you've got to be kidding. But when I leaned in and focused on the message, those nine words changed my life. The message read, don't give the enemy a seat at the table. I pushed aside my annoyance and let the message sink in. Quickly, I saw that my friend had nailed it. I had allowed my adversary, the devil, to influence the conversation inside my head. Can you guys relate to that? My struggle wasn't about fighting with people. People were involved, but the battle I was facing was against principalities and powers of darkness. My heavenly father wasn't making me afraid or paranoid. My shepherd wasn't pointing thoughts, wasn't putting thoughts of despair in my mind, the harmful thoughts were coming from someone else. The enemy had taken a seat at my table, and I was allowing myself to listen to a killer. Soon after, I was led to study Psalm 23, a text that has comforted and steadied God's people throughout the ages as they've navigated troubled waters. Now, I was seeing it through fresh eyes, especially the line that reads, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I could see myself sitting at a table with a good shepherd across from me. He had led me through dark valleys to reach the table, and I don't need to be afraid, even though the fiery trials weren't all resolved. My place at the table didn't mean that the enemies would be removed from the equation. In fact, the table was right was set right in the middle of my enemies. That captivated my imagination and held my attention. I didn't need to vindicate myself. I didn't need to clear my name. I didn't need to control the equation or work overtime to improve it. My task was to concentrate on the good shepherd, the one who owned the table. And I shared that just because I think so many times we get in conflict and our first response is, okay, how can I, how can I win? How can I uh, prove my point? How can I clear my name? How can I vindicate myself? How can I get more people on my side to understand what was done to me? And so they will be mad with me at this other person. Do you, do you see, do you see, do you, have y'all ever done that or is that just me? I think we do, and that's kind of human nature. And we do it without even realizing. And what we're doing, we're inviting the enemy, giving them a place at the table. So let me just ask you, are you giving the enemy a seat at your table? Uh, Psalm 23 says, God sets the table in the presence of our enemies. They're, they're around, but we don't invite Satan to sit right. We don't invite Satan. We don't give him a foothold into our life. And so I want to challenge us this morning a little bit. When we go through conflict, how are we going to, how are we going to honor God? How are we going to use it to, to glorify Him? We've gone through the, the kind of the three steps already. There's a fourth step today. 
Uh, it's kind of how to, how to be a peacemaker. And the first step was we glorify God. We just start asking ourselves, okay, how do we glorify God in this? How, how do people see Jesus through this? How do we really take the focus off of the problem and put it back on our Savior? That's the first step. The second step is getting rid of the log in our own eye. It's taking responsibility for what we contributed to the conflict. This is We like to jump right in and, and want other people to apologize and make things right, but we need to take responsibility for whatever part we have played in it. The third part is then we gently engage and restore. That's how we, what we talked about last week. And this is the uncomfortable part when we really talk to someone and, and talk about the conflict and, do, and follow the, the steps in Matthew 18 and, and go to that person um, and, and start working through the issue. And we do that gently. But the fourth step is what we want to talk about today. It's how we go and we're reconciled. We go forward. It's how we take what we've gone through and then we move forward. And how we, we, we move forward. And, and so uh, I'm just telling you that conflict, the problem is, as long as we cling to anger and hurt, we're not going to resolve it. Uh, and we're not going to surely not be reconciled. Uh, to forgive is not to forget. It's to forgive is to not allow the, the memory uh, of what has happened to direct our thoughts and, and consume us. And that's what happens. I think when uh, that statement I read from Louis Giglio, that's kind of what he was going through. Uh, he had gone through this and felt that betrayal, and it was consuming his mind, and he had let the enemy have a seat at the table. And so uh, let's talk about this today. Let's talk about how we move forward. In the book, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict, the author says this. He says, forgiveness is a powerful act that opens up the possibility of a relationship being fully healed from the pain of conflict. Forgiveness is how you move from merely solving a problem to repairing your relationship. It's the means of finding lasting solutions and enduring peace. We, I mean, don't you guys want peace in life? It's no fun when you go through life with tension and conflict. It's no fun when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're so worried about something that was said or something that was done. This is, a, this is an issue. Uh, really, it's, forgiveness is a spiritual discipline. It's something we have to exercise uh, and do over and over to become good at it because it doesn't come naturally. And so uh, you think about this, Christians are really the most forgiven people in the world. Have you ever thought about that? We've been forgiven more than anybody else in all the world because of what Jesus did on the cross. And therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. But that's often not the case. I've shared that you know, the theme of the Bible is reconciliation. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5. We see that throughout Scripture. We see that's the, the theme of, of the Bible is that God, we've been reconciled to God. Now we're called to be reconciled to each other. I shared last week Matthew 5. and Let's go back and look at it again. And this is an important verse here in Matthew 5 verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, you leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be what? Reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. 
And it, it keeps going. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. We have this, uh, uh, we have this really, this need, this, uh, this responsibility that if there's something between us and another person, we need to take care of it. It doesn't matter who started it, okay? No, it, we think our kids, we get mad at our kids when they say that. Why did you do that? Well, they started it. Well, they started it. That, that's pretty childish, isn't it? Then why do we do it as adults? Why do we like, when something happens, it's not my fault, they started it. It doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter. What matters is who takes the first step to forgiveness and reconciliation. And so when you read this, I mean, Jesus says, if you have something, and that Greek word there is, it's, it's really anything. It's not just, it could be, it doesn't matter how big, or how little, it doesn't matter who started it. Uh, it just says, if you have anything at all between you, then take the steps to, move, to work towards reconciliation. So what's reconciliation? Well, uh, reconciliation is the giving and the receiving of true forgiveness. This is what reconciliation looks like. And so I know when you define one word with another, we've got to go and define that, and we'll do that. We'll talk about what forgiveness is. But what reconciliation, it's the giving and the receiving of true forgiveness. And this is not easy. This is not easy. This is, this is honestly really hard. Um, if you've ever gone through a traumatic event, you've ever gone through something in your life, forgiveness is something that you're going to struggle with. And we'll kind of break this down. So before I tell you what forgiveness is, let me tell you what it's not. How about that? How about I tell you what forgiveness is not? Here's what forgiveness is not. Uh, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. So uh, it's not just something... Um, it's not just something that, that you feel. It's an act of the will. It's a decision. It involves really a series of decisions. The first is that we can't do this on our own. We need God to intervene and help us through it. So that's really the, the, the first part of what it's not. It's also not forgetting. Uh, forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, it's not passive where just, okay, over time, I'm just going to forget about this. This is going to kind of uh, you know, out of mind, out of sight, it's just going to go away. No, that's not really forgiving either. Um, forgiving is an active process, and there's a conscious choice. There's a deliberate course of action uh, based on, on what that we've been forgiven, and we, we want to forgive others. Uh, forgive, forgiveness is also not excusing. It's not saying that what you did doesn't really matter. Um, I think this is where a lot of people get hung up. They think, oh, if I forgive them, then that means that I'm saying what they did is not wrong. And that's not true. Forgiveness is actually saying, okay, what you did was wrong, and I understand that. And, and maybe what I did, my part of it was wrong as well. But knowing that it was wrong, we're still making that decision to move forward and not dwell on the past. So it's understanding what was wrong, understanding there's no excuses, and then deciding to move forward. So let's, let me give you the definition of forgiveness here. What is forgiveness? It's a radical decision not to hold an offense against the offender. 
that's really when we talk about forgiveness. It's like, I'm not going to hold that against you. Even though I could, even though the world tells me I should, no, I, I'm going to, it's, a, it's radical. This is so countercultural. It goes against everything that, uh, that sometimes our flesh is telling us to believe. We're like, I mean, everybody's like, oh, you got to get even. You got to make your point. You got you to bring it out in the open. You got to shame them. You got to, and, and forgiveness is like, no, it's a radical decision. I'm not going to hold that against the person that offended me. Um, a couple weeks ago, or a couple months back, we did a sermon series on spiritual gifts um, and, and how we use our spiritual gifts. And one of the passages about spiritual gifts, gifts in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 13. And, and we talked about this a little bit. In, uh, in context, uh, we, we always hear 1 Corinthians 13 at, at weddings. Hey, love is patient, love is kind. But in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, this is a church that was struggling with conflict. And why were they struggling with conflict? It was about how spiritual gifts were being used. And in the midst of that, in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this tension, we read uh, verse 4 through 7 here. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. In order for this to be done, it, forgiveness has got to be at the heart of this, right? If conflict is taking place, we've got to learn how to put this into practice. Love keeps no record of being wronged. When we're wronged, when there's conflict, we want to keep a record of it. We want to keep our ledger and just add up everything that's been done wrong to say, see, this is why I don't like this person. This is why I don't want to forgive them. This is why I don't want anything to do with them. This is why uh, I'm, I'm mad and I have a right to be mad about what has happened to me. Can you relate? We add it up. And it makes sense on paper, so they, hey, we're done. And then when we get to Scripture and we read about forgiveness, we read about reconciliation, we're like, that person is not worth it. There's a problem there. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it doesn't demand its own way, it's not irritable, keeps no... This is talking about a radical way to live. A way where we're not constantly mad at everybody around us. That there's not conflict and tension. True forgiveness, it means that we're leaving the past behind and we're focusing on the future. Forgiveness is really kind of a two-step process. And let's kind of break this down and talk about it a little bit. The first step um, is kind of a heart process. It's between you and God. It's getting to that point where you say, I understand God. Um, what was done was wrong. Uh, I, I need your help for me to move forward. And, and so this first step, it does not depend on the other person at all. It, it's, it's between you and God. It's you understanding, you getting to the point that you're not going to dwell on it, that you're not going to be held captive by it. You're not going to be anxious and worried about it. Uh, you're going to let it go and let God take care of it. That's the first step. It's, kind of, it's this heart process. The second step is more of a relational component. It's between you and the other person. Um, Thomas Watson, who's a Puritan pastor, um, 
he, here's what he said. He said, uh, he kind of defined this for us. And I think, yeah, we've got it up here. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but, but wish them well to them, when we will not grieve at their calamities, when we pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them, this is what gospel forgiving is. We don't wish mischief. I like that. We don't wish mischief on someone. Right? Um, we don't seek revenge. When we actually pray for them, when we seek reconciliation, this is, this is, this is, forgiveness is tough. It's this decision that we're making that, hey, I'm not going to continue to live as a victim anymore. We're going to put this behind us. We're going to move forward. And, and so uh, it, it really... This is, this, is, this is so important. Here's, let me kind of break down forgiveness even more. Uh, in the book, he talks about there's four promises you make when you forgive someone. And I think this is helpful. Uh, the four promises of forgiveness. The first is I promise I won't dwell on this instant. How many of y'all dwell about something? Um, yeah. Um, you dwell on stuff. You, you just, it just comes back in your mind and you think about it and you're like, man. Uh, you go back and you re- it's like your mind is a, uh, I started to say a VCR, but I, anybody under 40 won't remember what that is. <sighs> yeah, uh, like you hit rewind on YouTube, okay? It's like going back and you play it over and over and over again on TikTok, okay? Uh, it's, I'm putting it, making sure everybody can understand me here. It's like you play it over and over again, and you see, and you said something, something was said to you, and you just go back and over and over and over and over. That's dwelling on it. It's dwelling on it. Forgiveness, you're like letting that go. You're not going to dwell on it anymore. Uh, the second promise, I promise I won't bring up this incident and use it against you. Ooh. So uh, if you say I've forgiven you, and then... Tomorrow, you say, you know what, I re- and, and, and husbands, wives, listen to me on this. Uh, for, if you really forgive them, you're not going to keep bringing it up. But it also means you're not going to keep, the person's not going to keep making the same mistake. So there's, it, it is two ways there. But I'm not going to bring up this incident and use it against you. The third thing, I promise I won't talk to others about this incident. This is what gets us in trouble. Someone does something uh, okay, I forgive you, I forgive you, yeah. And then we go to our friend and say, you won't believe what they did to me. And we start gossiping. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is dropping it. What, was there something going on? No, we worked, it's good, we're good now. That, that's forgiveness. It's, it's in the past. The fourth promise, I promise I won't allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our relationship. Whew. This is tough, guys. I mean, this is, this is I, mean, I mean, when someone causes conflict, I want to take my ball and go home. I want to leave the playground and go somewhere else. I don't want to be around that person. And, you know, I, I'm processing all this in light of social media because I hit that unfollow button a lot these days. Right? Because I'm like, I just don't want to be around that. And so when we think about this, right, the forgiveness is I'm not going to allow this to hinder our relationship. And, and you're, you're thinking, well, but Mike, what about consequences? If someone does something, don't they need to face the consequences? 
Forgiveness does not release them from the consequences of their action. Uh, Ken Sandy in the book says this. He says, while forgiveness brings reconciliation to a relationship, it doesn't always release people from the real world consequences of sin. When someone wrongs you, it takes wisdom to determine whether or not to enforce a set of consequences. Sometimes it's best to show mercy. Sometimes it's best to allow a person to experience consequences that teach a much-needed lesson. It all depends on what will most effectively glorify God and serve the other person. That's how we know, right, whether to show mercy or whether to let the consequences happen. Sometimes uh, conflict is going to mean you do lose your job, but we can stay friends. Sometimes conflict means uh, that there are legal consequences because of your actions. Forgiveness does not release you from those consequences. Um, and, and so uh, that kind of leads me to my, to my next point here. Uh, having an attitude of forgiveness rests on you, but reconciliation depends on both your willingness and the offender's repentance. I said this last week, right? It really takes both parties uh, for reconciliation to take place. Uh, you can want, for, you can want to be reconciled, but both people have to, to be involved in this process. Our job is to do the right thing, and it's God's job to change their heart. And so sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want to, we want it to, and and we can't get mad at God. We can't get mad at them. We live in a broken world. I just, I'll, I'll share it this way. And, and I've told people this before. And, and this comes up in marriage counseling sometimes. And I, I, I've, I've shared this. I'm like, you don't want to look back on this and have regrets and say, I wish I would have tried harder to fix this problem. Because I've met a lot of people that have that regret, that look back and, and they look back and they say, I wish I would have done more, but I was so blinded by pride in the moment that all I could think about was making my point. I've talked to, to, to husbands who have, whose marriages have been destroyed because of pride, because they were unwilling to, 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 to understand the problem that they were facing. I actually saw just last night on social media, um, I, I was uh, turned on my phone. I was mindlessly scrolling like we're not supposed to do. Um, and I saw a post that just jumped out on me. And it was actually on Twitter. Um, and it was a woman that said, uh, my father died tonight and I'm broken. We um, had not been on speaking terms because I was mad at him for something he said. And that's, that's all it was. And that just broke my heart. Because you could just feel the grief. You could feel the regret. You could feel like, I wish, and she was just crying out, I wish I would have done more to fix this because now there's nothing I can do. And I, I just wanted to, I mean, I didn't even know this person. I wanted to give them a hug and say, okay, I understand. But this is why forgiveness and reconciliation is so important. No regrets. Do everything that you can. Don't, you don't want to look back and say, I wish I would have. The world tells us just to cut our losses and to move on. But that's not how we battle. Uh, 2 Corinthians says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. 
We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning uh, uh, and to destroy false arguments. Right? We, we, we battle differently. We need God's help to work through these issues. You know, you think about this. How, how hard is it to do what Jesus says to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you? Matthew 5. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is, this is why it's so difficult. Our prayer, then, is our, it, it's, it's an opportunity. I mean, that's where this has got to start. We've got to, to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to com- commit ourselves. God, we need your help. Help us through this process. We need to guard our hearts and minds. We need to, what Romans says, to bless those who persecute you. We don't curse them. We need to pray that God will bless them. All right? Uh, we, we need to be careful who we surround ourselves with because the world has always given us advice. Proverbs says it this way, to walk with the wise and become wise. And if, but if you associate with fools, you're going to get in trouble. Okay, parents of teenagers, highlight circle. This is the, the memory verse for this week, but it applies to us too as adults. Have you ever noticed when um, someone start having, and I've seen, and I keep going back to marriage because this is just so prevalent. I've seen this over and over again. People start having marriage trouble. Uh, one of the spouses will start hanging around someone that's maybe been through a divorce or someone that starts giving them bad advice. And the next thing you know, what happens? If you surround yourself with the people that you want to hear advice from, guess what kind of advice you're going to get? And so we've got to be careful. The ultimate weapon we have to, to work through this forgiveness, I love what he calls it. He calls it deliberate, focused love. It, it's so countercultural. It's so tough to do. I want to take us back to Romans 12 one more time. Romans 12, if you're not familiar with that whole chapter, it's almost a model for discipleship. It's a model for how you follow Christ in this world we live in. The whole chapter is just so good. So applicable to our lives today. Uh, But in verse 9, it says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. You see, this kind of gets at the heart of forgiveness. We pretend sometimes. No, this is say, don't pretend. Really do it. Really care about them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back... and. Verse, I think, 16 through 18, somewhere through that. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Some translations say, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do everything you can, no regrets. As far as it depends on you, you you take the first step. You take responsibility so that then you can be reconciled. So then you can uh, make, give and receive forgiveness. So then you can move forward. That's why Paul says in Colossians, right? Let the peace 
that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Can I just say, if the world would see Christians, not just at Cornerstone, but throughout every church, throughout every community, throughout every state, throughout every country, if they would see us live in this kind of way with peace, uh, where we lay down our preferences, we lay down and we give and we receive forgiveness, you, the world would be reached so quickly. The world is desperate for this kind of peace. The world is desperate for, uh, to, to figure out how to deal with the conflict we see around us. And, and the problem is churches are so busy arguing with each other about inconsequential things, things that are of no eternal significance. Churches are we're too busy saying, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I want to be right. And, and we're too busy doing that in our own personal lives that we don't see the lost people that are all around us that need Jesus. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. We've, we've spent four weeks now talking about why we need to understand forgiveness and, and, and how we resolve conflict and, and kind of the steps we take. We've given you the biblical blueprint. Now, the, the, the problem is we've got to start putting it into practice. We take what we've learned and we use it to honor God. And, and so today, I couldn't think of any better way to close this series than to close with a time of communion as we worship. And here's why. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth talking about problems in the church. When he's given them instructions on the Lord's Supper, he's talking about conflict they were having. Let me read you in 1 Corinthians 11 here. He says, In the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. He, he's saying when you get together as a church, it's, all you're doing is arguing, right? For the, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. It's not an, I mean, you, you see here, you, you hear the pain in his voice. And I believe it is in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then he proceeds to say, this is why we do the Lord's Supper. This is why we do it. This is why we come together. It's an opportunity for us uh, to re recognize that we're united in Jesus and what he has done on the cross for us. It's an opportunity for us to remember that he's coming back again. It refocuses our attention on the gospel mission that he has given us so that instead of focusing on our problems, instead of focusing on our differences, it focuses us on Jesus whose body was broken and blood was poured out for us. And so as we worship today, this is your opportunity. I want to invite people. We have a communion table set up here, here, over in uh, the cafe as well. You can come up at any time and get those. At the end of the song, I'll come back up and I'll lead us to take communion together. Um, but let's pray as, as Luke and Abby come back up. Heavenly Father, 
Uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you for this series, for this opportunity to dig in and really do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I pray right now, if there are families who are divided, if, that you would work in that situation and you would bring healing and peace to that family. I pray if there are workplaces here where there is conflict, that you would work in that situation and bring a peaceful environment. I pray for those in this church that may be struggling with inner conflict or struggling with what has been done. And as much as it depends on us, may we work for that peace. Lord, we just thank you for Jesus, for what he has done in our life, for how much he has forgiven us. Help us never lose sight of that so that we can extend that same kind of radical forgiveness to others. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your love. And what we need is that radical, deliberate, focused love that we can extend to others. Help us to do that. And Lord, as we close today, I just want to pray for those listening, for those here today, if you're, whether it's online, whether it's here in person, that they would take that first step of reconciliation. And if they are separated from you, if they have never made Jesus the Lord of their life, that today, right now, right here, wherever they're at, that they would be able to confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord of their life. That they would believe, God, that, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They would acknowledge that and agree to walk and live and and let you work in them and through them. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.